Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Love was given by Darren Roundson and is the fourth in our series, Waiting in Expectation. Wow. Whoa. Hey, good evening. Um, my name is Darren. I'm really glad to be with you guys this evening. Waiting in expectation. We have been intentionally as a community, um, slowing down, trying to avoid uh, intentionally the rat race and the chaos that our lives seem to get sucked into during this holiday season. We are distracted by consumerism, we're distracted by family obligations, we're distracted by decoration, um, by rain sometimes. We, we just get so compelled and moved and pulled in so many different directions. And Christmas has seemed to be hijacked by, um, by the retailers. And um, I just read an article uh, a couple days ago, and they're estimating that we're, America is spending about $488 billion this year on Christmas alone. $488 billion in one year to solve the number one crisis in the world, which is uh, water, getting adequate water supply to the world. It, it would cost $10 billion. And we spend $488 billion. And that's not, I'm not coming down on us. But this is a way our church has said, hey, let's not buy into the programs that we, we tend to get caught up in, even in the church. How do, we, how do we slow down? How do we present the gospel and the incarnation of Christ Jesus in a way that's helpful, that's maybe counterintuitive and countercultural? So that's what we've been doing. And today, I get the delight of teaching about love. Bill said last week that joy was a, a difficult topic, but I truly believe that of all the topics we can talk about, love has got to be one of the most challenging. And let me say this as a statement to begin with. I believe that the reason so many of us struggle with our Christian faith, um, struggle in our, our desires and tensions with the world, that we create this kind of half-devoted life to Christ, and we have our, our feet in two different worlds. I think the reason why we, we have such a difficult time with this has everything to do with the fact that we've been introduced to a God that is too small, a God that is too unimpressive, a God that is too insignificant, a God that looks more like us than the God of the Bible. I believe that we have been introduced to formulas, to theologies, to system, systematic things, that Western culture has introduced platonic views of a distant creator God who's unmoved. And we have reduced our faith to the concept that faith is simply sitting in a chair. It's there. You just got to sit in it. Have you heard this illustration before? That faith is like, it's like believing that the chair will hold you. And so what you got to do is act upon that faith and sit in it. That's what faith is. But I really believe that that illustration has really condensed our faith. And Jesus is honestly tired of people sitting on Him. I really believe that. I believe, guys, that we, through our culture, through our society, through our Bible studies, through our teaching, we have reduced the radical love of Christ to formulas, apologetics, and concepts. Rather than being introduced to a provocative love story with the creator of the universe longing and desiring and seeking after us, we've settled with a couple of statements of doctrine. 
And I believe the reason the world is not fully Christian is because we don't really know what love is really about. Love is about relationship. And in a world where, where we are fascinated by love, I mean, we, there are no, there's no greater topic in human history of where we get the source of poems, of plays, of TV shows, of movies. I mean, think of all the ridiculous romantic comedies in the world there are. All on this longing, this desire, this, this seeking after love. And whether you call it love or not, um, one of the, the great psychiatrists of our time, a modern psychiatrist, is a guy named Gerald May. And he diagnoses this very problem. He says in his book on, uh, called Addictions and Grace, he says that we may experience it in different ways, this longing. A longing for wholeness or completion or fulfillment. Regardless of how we describe it, it is a longing for love. This, uh, it is a, a source of hunger to love, to be loved, and to move closer to the source of love. This yearning is the essence of the human spirit. It is the origin of our highest hopes and our most noble dreams. Humanity longs to be loved. And I, I don't think I have to convince you of the the longing that all of us have for some type of experience and encounter of love. Would you agree with me? And it's fascinating because love is actually our story we get to tell. But most of us have not a clue on how to describe love. In fact, um, the, what really spun this message for me this morning was I was on my way to get a cup of coffee at the Sipology. And I had a conversation with the barista. He's a friend of mine, and he's not a Christian. And I was just telling him about how I'm going to talk about love this morning and um, today and teaching two messages. And I was just like, hey, what's your perspective? And he said, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I heard one time uh, about the four different types of love in, in Greek, the different words used for love. And that's pretty fascinating. But then it hit me. He sat in church, and he's heard that before, but he's not a Christian. And so I, w I went off and spun on him what I want to spin on you. And that's exactly this, that we can no longer use in our culture, in our society, in our faith, this ridiculous understanding that love has everything to do with something we can understand. But that we have to be thrown into the deep end of this ocean of love and be comfortable swimming in the mysteriousness that is God's love for us. And so forgive me if I don't have a five-point message on how to love or how to receive love. I want to introduce you to somebody that's Jesus Christ. I want to set people up on a blind date and show them a relationship to the creator of the universe. And for Christians, we don't even know how to talk about love. In fact, what I, what I, I like hearing, what I love hearing, see how we use it, we muddy it? I love my wife, I love coffee, I love... Blah, 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 blah. It's just muddled. But how about this? I go to weddings and I find this fascinating. The number one scripture used in weddings is 1 Corinthians 13. And we know this. We understand this. Oh, love, does, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. But guys, do you realize that that's describing love in a very particular situation? That's describing love in conflict. And it is appropriate for marriage because marriage is full of conflict. 
For those of you that are looking for the day that it's going to be a perfect relationship, that's likely not going to happen. You're going to have to work through it. But that's love in conflict. That's describing love in a very particular situation. And, and, and when it comes to conflict, love acts a certain way. And so Paul describes that particular situation. But if you were, if you were, to, if you were asked, what is love? And you weren't quoting a song from Night at the Roxbury. Oh, that was such a better joke earlier. Um, <laughs> open your Bibles. I'm going to get boring. Just kidding. As a punishment. What is love? What, what, if you were asked what is love, could you define it? And I think I just heard it whispered. And the truth is, love is defined by a name. It's defined by a story and a person. And Christmas is the day that we celebrate love being born in human flesh. Without the incarnation, we only have ideas. Without the incarnation, we have distant deities. Without the incarnation, we have concepts, theories, formulas, apologetics. Without the incarnation, we are not thrusted into this dynamic love story where there's a pursuing lover in the middle of it who comes after his bride. We all know this story. God so loved the world, John 3.16, that He gave His one and only Son that who would ever believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. Something in John 3.6 is actually fascinating. That in one verse, John is, is able to write about the entire human history and how God interacts in human history that somehow when God created mankind he loved them so much that it compelled the type of love that made him respond that he had to do something to the world because of his love that God so loved that he had to go on mission and this is what I want to introduce us tonight on too I want to introduce us to a way of talking about our faith about Christmas in a way that I think will compel our generation more than ever before. Let's not go out here and start explaining what agape and phileo and all the different words of love are. Let's go out here with the most radical love story because we can market this. Romeo and Juliet's the most famous love um, story ever told and you, you see variations of this. Love actually is a movie people watch all the time and you see these variations of these horrible loves. But we have the greatest love story in human history. And this morning, this evening, whatever we're at, I'm a little sick today, so forgive me. Tonight, I want to introduce us to a love story and it starts with the statement that God so loved the world that it compelled Him to enter into human history. And this, this is how it starts. And brothers and sisters, let's get good at this story. Because this is what captures us. God creates mankind. Genesis. I want to pull us back to Genesis every time we... That's where, where it all began. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God creates humankind in His image. Humankind disobeys His commandments. His, his, his inv invitation to live in harmony, in shalom with God the Creator. And so when we step out of that harmony, we are now livid, living in a fractured state of existence. We are now living in a, a, separated, a separated place where God is no longer involved intimately in our life. That we in fact are not even existing. We're dying. And because of God's love, Genesis chapter 3 on, God steps into history with a mission. Because of Genesis 3, God would not leave us fractured. 
of, of death. He would enter into human history and tell the greatest love story ever told. That the, the God, the Creator, would want to redeem what was broken. What became imperfect, He wanted to perfect. And we have the, the Missio Dei, the mission of God. And we know this story, but let us remind you. So Genesis 3, God, God sends them out of the garden. And then eventually God selects a people through, the, through Abraham. And He selects a people group um, that were, they were enslaved to Egypt. And then He frees them out of Egypt and He takes them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, He tells this people group to prepare to meet with God. And this time, God will actually come down into human history. He will manifest Himself to a people group. And He separates this people group and He says to them, You will be My people. And I will be your God. And this is what God, do, God does. He enters into human history. And think about what he does. You, do you know this dramatic scene in the New Testament or the Old Testament? One of those books. Exodus 19. God comes down with fire and smoke on an, and burns up an entire mountain, thundering with a loud voice and gives the people of Israel tablets to live by. And he says to them, if you obey my commandments, you will be my people. And to the Israelites, they understood what God was doing here, not as a contract, but a marriage covenant. Think about this. According to the Israelites, Exodus 19 is where God marries the Israelites. God writes marriage vows and proposes to a community. He says, if you obey my commandments, you will be my God. God enters into human history God enters into human history and marries the Israelites. And he gives them this life, this way of living. It's a secret to all things. That if they will obey these laws, they're not going to just be God's people, but they will in fact be a nation to bless all of other nations. They will become the redemptive presence to the world. They will in fact carry the message of God's love and redemption wherever they go. But what do they do? They don't obey God. They don't keep the if. God marries them and they commit adultery according to the prophets. Think about the language that's used. It's absolutely horrifying. They, the, the Israelites are committing adultery against Yahweh. God describes his relationship to mankind as, as one of a bridegroom delighting over a bride. It says in Isaiah that God will one day delight in Israel as a bridegroom delights over a bride. God uses marriage metaphors describe the greatest love he has for this community. And they disobey. It gets so bad, the prophets speak out against the people of Israel. It gets so bad that God wants to demonstrate what's going on here. And so he sends a prophet to the Israelites. And he tells the prophet to marry a woman who's a prostitute. And it, that represented Israelites being an adulterous prostitute wife to a faithful husband. And what that was, was Israel as the prostitute adulteress and God as the faithful husband. It is ridiculous. You can't get away from this in this story. Just read this thing all the way through. And you don't see just numbers and chapters and breakdowns. You see this beautiful love language, this beautiful love story of God doing everything He possibly could in the Old Testament to redeem what was broken in Genesis 3. Do we see that? Do we read that that way? Most of us don't. We stick to our formula. 
We stick to our theology. We stick to our doctrine because that's what keeps us safe. That's what lets us know who's in and who's out. When you talk about relationship, it gets really messy. But it doesn't end with Hosea's statement. It doesn't end with the prophets just saying that God will one day do this. It actually continues forward. And that's where we read about the Christmas story. That's what Advent is about. God enters into human history again in Luke chapter 2. We read this last week, but Luke chapter 2 verse 10. The angels of the Lord come announcing God's arrival again. And listen to what this looks like. Remember, Exodus 19, earthquake, thunder, lightning, fire, smoke, a huge mountain. Everyone can see it. And then we hear this from an angel. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that you, uh, that, that, uh, great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Jerusalem, um, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For unto you is born the day, uh, this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God becomes a baby. Do, do, do we see how ridiculous this is? God comes as a baby in a manger, in a barn, wearing diapers. God invited us to, to be married to Him with a law, with thunder, with, with lightning, with fire, with a way of living. But then God realizes something. Or maybe He already knew all along. We don't really know. We don't get to question that. But that wasn't working. And because of Genesis 3, God said He would redeem what was lost so everything would go back to like Genesis 1 and 2. And He's done all of this. He invites us to live in a covenantal marriage, but we blow it. And because we could never fully do it, He comes as a baby. To become a man. To live a life of perfection. To fulfill every single letter of the law that was given to us in Exodus 19. That that would be the way we would know Him. Not as a concept, not as a stone tablet, but as a human. As flesh. The incarnation is the embodiment of the Son of God in flesh as Jesus Christ. He had feet he had hands. He probably had bruised knees. He cried. He laughed. The incarnation enables us to enter into relationship, guys. I wonder how many of us have just been stuck with vain concepts, with false deities with the, the Gnostic gospel, the Gnostic view. And, and, and Gnosticism was the separation of spirit and flesh. And John writes against this because this was profoundly impacting uh, the Christian churches in John and 1 John. Where people were saying, well, well, flesh is bad, but spirit is good in Greek culture. But, God, but John had to say, actually, it's all good because Jesus became a man. And I think we've missed something when we separate our belief in God to our invitation to be in relationship with a human being who is fully God and fully human. Are you tracking me? This is mysterious, and I'm not trying to say it's not. I'm not trying to answer all the questions. I'm trying to invite you into a relationship with a loving God. Jesus fulfills the law. He dies. He resurrects and He invites us to participate in eternal life here and now. Eternal life here and now. So, 
Christmas is a time that we celebrate this love. Love. And rather than trying to give you formulas or even just trying to talk about love from a, from a, um, a topical standpoint, I just want to tell you what love is. Love is Jesus. And if you want to invite people to understand love, you have to tell the story of creation. You have to tell the meta-narrative of God interacting with all of human history and finally coming and embodying, his, uh, embo- embodying a man in flesh so that we may know love. It's kind of like this. Um, in 1 John 3.16, I love John because John gets it, and this is where we get this understanding. John gets the fact that you can't describe Jesus through concepts. You can't describe uh, this incredible message through these formulas. He gets it. He doesn't even try. Instead, he simply points to a name and he points to Jesus. First John 3.16 says this, By this we know love. I don't know if that's us. Okay. By this we know love. <laughs> Hopefully not. That He laid down His life for us. The way we know love is by looking to Christ and what He did on the cross. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. He points to them a story. He points to them a name, a person. Do you guys, are you getting, are you getting it? Let me try to make sense and wrap it up. I don't think, I think many of us struggle with relationships. We struggle, struggle with our relationship with God, relationship to others. We struggle with our Christian faith because we have failed to be reckoned with. We have failed to reckon with the radical love that Christ offers us. And, and 1 John 4, 7, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. In this, the love of God has manifested among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this love, in this is love, forgive me, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son for the propitiation of our sins. God is love and God loves us. And let me just uh, say a couple more things as I want to close. All we need to do is open ourselves to receive God's love. Look at the problems in our life. Look at the frustrations that we have. Look at the relational dynamics that we suffer through. And all we have to do is take a step in to simply receive the, uh, the most powerful love of God that transforms us. And Christmas is the understanding that Jesus knows us. He knows us. There's a, a story of a Ukrainian rabbi And I think this illustrates the point. This Ukrainian rabbi writes about how he discovered, how he learned of love. And he learned it from two drunk peasants. He walked into a tavern to see two peasants gloriously in in their cups, is what he says. Drunk. Saying back and forth to each other how much they love one another. And finally, Ivan says to Simon, 
how can you say you love me? He says to him, do you know what hurts me? And Simon says, of course I don't know what hurts you. And he says, how can you say you love me if you don't know what hurts me? And for this Ukrainian rabbi, it was, the, it was the revelation of the gospel. That Jesus knows our hurt and our pain. And that he says to us, he loves us. Let me close with some words from Brennan Manning. The love story has a name, and his name is Jesus. But on Judgment Day, I believe that we will be asked one question, and one question only. Jesus will come to us on Judgment Day, and He will ask us this, Did you believe that I loved you? Did you believe that I desired you? That I longed to be with you? that I waited for you day after day just to hear your voice? Did you believe and receive my love? I believe all of us will be asked this. And those of us that, that, that know this love, we will say, yes, Lord, I believe in your love and your love for me. And I tried to shape my life around it. But for some of us, and maybe most of us, after we're tired out from all of our work in the, in the church, our pious frailty, our working for approval, our seeking of this great love, after all of our time is spent, wasted to pursue something that we never received, Jesus will come to us and we might say to Him, I thought that was a lovely concept. And He'll come to us in a word and say to us on that day, I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be because you're never going to be as you should be. Do you believe in this love? Have you been wrecked by a love that is so great, that is so furious, so unimaginable, so incomprehensible, this thing called the love of God? Have you entered into that type of dynamic relationship? Have you sat in the delicate hands of a loving Father as He whispers gen gently and delicately over you, You are my beloved. I love you. Have you received the love of God? Do you live in that love? Some of you need to sit with your eyes closed and allow Yahweh the Father right now through the power of the Holy Spirit, to whisper sweet words of affirmation and love over you. That you're never going to have it figured out. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to have all the ducks in a row or have everything di dialed down to a T. Your life will be chaos for here until eternity. But you've got to know this tonight. Do not walk out of here without understanding the powerful love of God that is for you as you are. Here and now. And that's good news. And let me just remind us of one more thing. The rest, for you that are sitting with your hearts moving, I just want you to sit there. I know this is, this is for many of us, but we're not blessed to be a blessing. We're not loved just to sit in that love. Jesus makes it perfectly clear on His night, the last night He was alive in John, the night with His disciples, 
he made it perfectly clear what type of standard of discipleship he's looking for. What we as his followers should be known by. He says in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this the world will know. That you love one another. Brothers and sisters, when we fully receive the love of God, we are in fact lovable. And we go with the mission to reveal Christ to the world through one simple task, to love one another. This season, may you sit and rest in the identity as your beloved, as you as a beloved child of God, loved, rooted, and established in His love for you. And may you only do one thing, love one another as a response to His love. Let me close in this great blessing. Would you close your eyes as I read this over us? as the worship team comes back, as we settle to wrestle with the fact that we either accept it or we don't. We either work for it or we sit in it. Guys, it's time to release, to open up your arms and say, God, will you let me feel your love? Let me be loved. Let me read this blessing over you. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness that you may experience the paralysis and the poverty of a child. That you may sing and dance in the compassionate love of God which is in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may you do your work here tonight. May you sit us down on your lap and speak to us the words that we so often forget. That we all, that in fact all of eternity, all of, all of our world longs to hear the soft words that you speak to us now. I love you. I love you. I love you. Lord, thank you for making us lovable. And thank you for giving us a face with hands, with feet, with a beating heart, with a name, and with a great story. Thank you for Jesus. Minister to us tonight. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden, or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org. I come to wait.